<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. So I'm absolutely thrilled this week to be joined by Yarm Hazoni. Yarm is the chairman of the Emin Burke Foundation and the author of the new book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery. He's also a dear personal friend and mentor. But before we get into that conversation with Yoram, I do want to loop back to the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, which of course played such an outsized role in our last episode with Ali Beth Stuckey. The details that we are seeing emerge and really seem like they took days to emerge in the fog of war, I guess, if you will, are just just terrifying stuff. I don't really know. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it really, really rattles you to our bones. Each headline from roughly kind of last Wednesday through last Thursday through last Friday seemed worse than the one before it. There were 19 police officers, 19 police officers at one point outside the classroom where the gunman had apparently barricaded himself. Why they did not go in is just beyond me. Just utterly beyond me. I mean, try to picture the situation here. 19 cops refusing to go in in what one can only soberly conclude is just an, an abominable act of crass human cowardice. I don't know how else to say it. While at the same time, the cops outside are preventing the frantic and rightfully hysterical parents from wanting to run in there. Ultimately, apparently, the way that the shooter was taken down was it was a board attack agent. It was a Border Patrol special agent who, if I remember the details correctly, after about a half hour of listening to the Uvalde police officers on the ground and trying to shepherd out children, I kind of like looked at his partner, if I remember the details correctly here, and basically said, like, what the hell are we doing? And then went in and, and, and killed the bastard. Why that did not happen right away is just galling. And I think for a lot of us here who spend a lot of time defending the police, especially against, obviously, the defund the police anarchists and, and the rising crime in America. And, I, and look, I'm not going to apologize for those stances. I think those stances are, are still ultimately at the end of the, of the day correct. But for a lot of us in kind of the pro-police camp who speak about the need for a more robust police presence to crack down on rising crime in America, this is a tough, tough story to swallow. I mean, this level of just cowardice and, and really what seems like appalling police misconduct. Governor Greg Abbott, who is the governor of the great state of Texas, I mean, he used the word, it was either last Thursday or Friday, it was at a press conference, he said he was livid, livid at the details that he was hearing out of Uvalde. DPS, which is the Texas Department of Public Safety, has now formally said that the Uvalde police officers did not act as they should have, did not act according to protocol. At a federal level, the Biden DOJ, the Department of Justice, is apparently opening an investigation. Look, I really hope they get to the bottom of this. I, I, I sincerely do, because these details just make what is a tragic story just next level appalling. It is one of the most gut-wrenching news stories in years. 
I have not been this viscerally angry at a news story in years now. And I just truly hope that we get to the bottom of what happened here. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you are a police officer and you are outside of a classroom where a deranged gunman has taken children hostage and is shooting children and teachers, and you are not willing to go in with 18 of your colleagues to kill the son of a bitch. Get a new profession, for God's sake. Unbelievable. Well, we'll see what happens in that investigation. We'll update you in future episodes, but we're going to take it to a quick commercial break here. On the other side, we're going to bring on Yoram Hazoni. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. So as previously mentioned, just truly an honor and a pleasure this week to have on my good friend and Edmund Burke Foundation colleague, someone I'm privileged to, I I think, call a mentor, I think is a fair term to use our description to an extent, Yoram. So we have here Yoram Hazoni, who's the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation and the author of the new book now available, Conservatism, A Rediscovery. So Yoram, thanks so much for joining us this week. It's great to see you, Josh. I'm Really pleased to be on your podcast. Yeah, of course. So, look, I mean, you know, I've known about this book for a while now, obviously, but, you know, not all of America and not all of the world, for that matter, has known about it. So tell us a little bit about where this new project came from, this most recent book, which is quite a tome. It's pretty thick. What was the kind of impetus to write all of this in one comprehensive volume? The, the main impetus is, uh, is 2020. I mean, I, I, I don't know if everybody's fully grasped that uh, the year 2020 brought a, a, a seismic shift in, in, uh, uh, in the terrain, in the, the, the intellectual terrain and the, 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 the kinds of ideas that are circulating in, in America and in the Western countries. I, I think it's, I think we can say that since World War II, um, at, at least since the 1960s, there, there were uh, common liberal ideas that were understood to be, you know, by bo- both the left and the right to be kind of hegemonic and in control of, of, uh, of the, the, the political and public discourse in America. And uh, in 2020, all that came to an end. The, the, the era of uh, the, the hegemony of liberal ideas is ended. And uh, there's a, a new set of ideas, woke anti-Marxism, that is um, trying to establish its own rule in the public space. This has uh, opened up, um, you know, tremendous dangers. Um, the potential for for tragedy is is vast, um, and yet yet at the same time, there 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 is an opportunity to rethink our steps and to uh, reconsider uh, the place of uh, um, uh, national and religious traditions. Uh, in our in our lives, and that's what this book seeks to do. 
So 2016 happens, and 2016 was a banner year in many respects. It was, of course, the Brexit vote in UK. It was, of course, the election that shocked the entire world of President Trump here in the US. And a couple of years later, you wrote a book, The Virtue of Nationalism, which was highly praised. Intercollegiate Studies Institute named it its conservative book of the year. I think many people kind of view that as kind of the intellectual book, really, for kind of like the whole kind of Trump kind of anti-globalization backlash. So can you connect for the listeners, basically kind of drawing, drawing a line of sorts from that book to the current book? How do the two relate to one another and what we're trying to do at, in the national conservatism movement? The two books are, they're obviously... Uh, obviously related, uh, the, the new conservatism book is um, uh, is a, a much uh, deeper uh, engagement with the arguments. Um, it has a historical section uh, which goes into uh, detail, oh, uh, deal, deal, deals with the question of where did, where did conservatism come from, goes back a few hundred years before Edmund Burke, uh, in, in order to sort of uh, paint the picture of, of what conservatism was and is. And, uh, and it has a theoretical section which goes much deeper than, than anything that I've published before. Um, that theoretical section is, is an answer to the question that a lot of people, especially young people, are asking uh, about conservatism. They, they, they say, I, you know, what is this conservatism ever conserved? What all we see basically is is uh, uh, is the retreat of any kind of um, fundamental traditional um, uh, Christian or Jewish or uh, ideas from one year to the next, and this has been going on for 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 many decades. People want to know: is there is there anything to to conservatism, or is it just you know just hot air? Uh, I, I think that question is completely. Um, uh, well-framed and, and uh, uh, appropriate. And I wanted to give an answer to that question. The, the answer to the question, what would you have to actually do if you wanted to conserve anything? Uh, and that, that's on two levels, both at the, at the political level and at the personal level. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give away, obviously, the whole book. I, I, I want everyone to I want to encourage everyone to listen to the book. But what I guess would be your short answer to those kind of on our side who basically look at all the present malaise and the mass despondency? And, you know, I don't need to run down the whole litany of all the various crises afflicting our present moment. But what would be kind of your your quick answer to those who, who would kind of surmise the current landscape and say, well, the time for conserving anything is over because so much has been burned down. Now we have to kind of take on more of a counter-revolutionary posture. I mean, to put it even more crassly, this is not a term that I would necessarily personally identify with, but I, some people kind of have floated around the term almost right-wing Leninism of sorts. I mean, it's kind of like a true kind of ends justify the means style approach. But, you know, I, I, would, I would assume that you would have some serious quibbles with that. So what would be your response to those on our side who would make that argument? Well, I, th- I, I think that there's, a, that there's an important line to be drawn between restoration and counter-revolution. Um, the, the purpose of a restoration is, uh, is, is to go back to some point um, when, uh, when things were working well. Now, obviously, you, can, you, you can't ever go, go back really, but, but what you can do is you can say, um, something like, uh, look, the United States took a, a massive wrong turn uh, in 1947 uh, with, uh, when, when the Supreme Court set out on the course of, of uh, banning religion from the public sphere. 
from the schools, from the public sphere. And, uh, and a restorationist would say uh, that uh, a lot of the foundations, I mean, America has, uh, you know, many centuries of, of, of uh, uh, Anglo-American and Christian foundations going way, way before 1776. And uh, uh, what, what we need to do is, is, is uh, look to retrace our steps and uh, restore the, the things that were best about, uh, about uh, America pre-1947, let's say. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's a very different worldview where you say, um, I want to rebuild things that worked and that were destroyed to, to strengthen something that exists, existed and that was good. That's a com- very different worldview from the, uh, the conservative uh, revolutionaries or revolutionary conservatives, uh, which, is, you know, which is a name that, uh, that, that uh, is, has been applied to you know, Carl Schmitt and other kind of uh, uh, U- European um, uh, authoritarians whose view is not, they don't, they don't actually, I mean, I think you put it well when you said uh, uh, that, that they're kind of like Leninists. They want to destroy everything and they think they can, they can build the world from scratch. And I, there's no evidence that anybody can do that. There's no evidence that that's ever succeeded. I mean, the, the, uh, um, the, 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 the trajectory that, that, that people like Schmidt sent Germany on was a tra- trajectory that first, you know, destroyed Germany and you know, in, in, within a few years completely leveled Germany um, and, and then uh, paved the way for replacing uh, any kind of conservatism with this uh, u- utopian one world liberalism, which is what the German state stands for right now. And, you know, so those people who are, you know, who are uh, talking about uh, Lenin or Schmidt as as models. I mean, for God's sake, can you can you give me a case, any case where that kind of thinking and that kind of action has done any good? And uh, I, I, I mean, you might as well just just you know be 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 uh, uh, shooting yourself in the head from from what it appears from the historical record of these attempts. So um, I I would urge people who are uh, frustrated with conservatism. I, I share the frustration. I completely share the assessment that um, that the moment is super dangerous, and that you know by 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 this point, restoring anything is going to be very difficult. But um, I, you know, what? Why aren't you willing to fight, guys? I mean, that's basically the bottom line. Because you know, what are, what are the people who are talking about this Leninism doing? I mean, they're not actually like, uh, uh, God forbid, uh, storming storming the Congress or something. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're sitting and twiddling their thumbs and 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 reading books and 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 carping about you know what other people have failed to do. So so. Get your get yourselves in gear and let's work to try to restore something. There is the, the, there there are productive things we could do. So let's talk about those productive things then. I mean, what would you encourage listeners of this podcast, readers of your book, to actually in their personal lives do? And I, I, I kind of want to elaborate on this a little later in the podcast because I think one of the most compelling parts of your new book is this portion on personally living a conservative life. But we're going to get to that a little later. So for people who are kind of politically active, for the folks out there who 
really want to to do what you're doing or do what you're saying, basically, to help restore kind of an older, more traditional version that could actually speak to the present moment? What in their personal lives can they help do to effectuate that? Well, look, look we're, we're, we're dealing with we're dealing with two big problems and the, and they're related to one another. One of them is that um, is that th- the, the things that are capable of uh, establishing a life of conservation and transmission for um, the United States um, have, have been uh, uprooted uh, legally, you know, by, by by force of legal action, you know, for 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 example, um, the kids have to go to school uh, uh, across the United States five days a week, um, and 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 study in an environment that's been completely uh, stripped of any reference to the idea that that uh, um, uh, th- that the Bible is the foundation is the, the 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 political and moral foundation for 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 the country um stripped of any any kind of reference to um uh the the uh, uh the, the place of um of the religious framework in 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 creating a kind of a um a public philosophy that that gives guardrails to people about how to live that's one side of the problem the other side of the problem is that the kids growing up in this um in 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 this um uh deracinated america uh, that the, they're not happy i mean it's not you know the, the 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 liberals promised us that if we if we would just suppress religion and nationalism and uh, focus on letting everybody do whatever they want um then then people would be happy you know that that life would be better and at at, at this time it it just doesn't look like that. I mean, the 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 a, a young person growing up in a situation where he or she um, is not is not part of any kind of um, uh, traditional family, uh, you know, lives lives very far away from from parents. Thinks that their parents, in any case, didn't you know, uh, uh, d- didn't transmit anything good or useful to them. They don't they they don't think religion is appropriate for them. So they're not part of any kind of congregation or community. And, uh, and and it's true that, that they have infinite options in front of them, but none of the options look like they're worth anything because because the worth of of the 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 options that a young person has uh, in in real life are determined by um, where you can get praise from uh, from from older people that you respect, and if if there are no older people that you respect, which is you know may very well be, be the situation. Um, then realistically, people are set adrift. You you get you know the 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 angry young men that Jordan Peterson talks about, and the um, and 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 the the lost young uh, women that Abigail Schreier talks about. That that that's going to be the fate of everyone um, if if we can't move back into uh, some kind of more traditional um, uh, healthy healthy life. Um, which requires us to admit that human beings are hierarchical, that uh, we get meaning and purpose from uh, from placing ourselves within a, uh, a, a a hierarchy where there are uh, wise people who have worthwhile things to hand down. And uh, I, I mean, Bronze Age pervert is not a substitute. 
it's a funny way of describing, I think, uh, the moment, but I think you've hit on it well. But let's take it to a quick commercial break. We're here with Yoram Hazoni. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So, Yorm, if there's one thing that I think really kind of colors a lot of your work over the years. It is this emphasis that kind of social and religious traditionalists, people who kind of have an urge to speak morally to the public square, and in the absence of doing so, of course, you know, the one-way ratchet of liberalism will just kick in and will just kind of accelerate kind of you know, to cheekily use a phrase, uh, the immunitizing of the eschaton, if you will. I, um, I, 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 when I kind of think back, and, you know, Matthew Continetti also has this new book that where he's trying to kind of intellectualize the conservative movement in America. To me, it kind of seems like social and religious conservatives kind of got a raw deal back in the post-war era, back in the 1950s, 1960s, kind of leading up to the so-called three-legged stool that, you know, reached its kind of fulfillment in the Reagan presidency when you were, of course, in college. Is that is that your reading of the history as well? Do you basically think that religious and social conservatives were, I hate to put it so crassy, but were kind of screwed in kind of the post-war American conservative consensus? Yeah, I, th- I think it was a bad deal. I mean, I, I should say before anything else that um, that post-war what's sometimes called fusionist conservatism the conservatism assembled by Buckley in 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 the 1950s and 60s um, fusionist conservatism um, has a couple of major things to its its credit it is in fact the ideology that succeeded in defeating the Soviet Union abroad and in uh, rolling back uh, socialism for an entire generation at home. And um, those are those are very real achievements that were achieved by this kind of alliance of of anti-Marxist liberals together with conservatives. But um, but I agree with you that the uh, that when you when you look past the fall of the Berlin Wall um, into the 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 post Reagan and Thatcher years, uh, suddenly um, what's called conservatism hasn't it. it drops religion, it drops nationalism, even the idea of an independent nation state is, is dropped. And, uh, and it just becomes all freedom all the time. It becomes, you know, uh, world, the, 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 the worldwide rule of liberalism um, with uh, uh, n- no substance other than, than uh, everybody should be free. And that um, absurd uh, ideology, that utopian, ridiculous ideology, which ruled um, uh, uh, in, in Europe and America for the next 30 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, that, that is uh, called conservatism by people. I mean, there's nothing conservative. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing whatsoever that is conservative about it. It has no capacity to conserve anything. And so, um, uh, yeah, I think that when we ask, how did that happen? And I, I, I write about this in my book is, is where did this come from? 
I, I think that the roots of this huge defeat for conservatism are are in the Buckley um, fusionism, because Buckley fusionism sought to fight communism um, by uh, uh, offering a kind of public liberalism wedded to a private conservatism. And it just turns out that the, 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 the conservatism was so, so private that it just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, the basic argument for the listeners who are less familiar with Frank Meyer and fusionism, which is kind of the reigning ideology of National Review magazine and kind of the conservative movement at large since the, since the post-war period, the basic argument is that private conservatism, if kind of inculcated in an intergenerational fashion from the confines of one's home, church, synagogue, and so forth, will ultimately reign supreme in the liberal marketplace of ideas. Uh, why it will do so is not exactly answered, but it, it, that was kind of the bargain, I think, that social conservatives signed up for. But, you know, your look, I, I obviously agree with what you're saying here. But for the listeners, I think, who, uh, you, you know, I'm not sure how many libertarian listeners we have, but for those of for those of them out there who hear things like, you know, freedom is not enough, being able to kind of choose your own destiny is not enough. You know, you've written hundreds of thousands of words trying to debunk this thesis, basically. But what would be kind of your your quick answer to that curious kind of 18, 19 year old of sorts who basically says, well, you know, if I choose to do X, Y, Z, if I choose to relocate myself from my community in Ohio to relocate to the East Coast to kind of pursue a career and all that, why why is that not enough? Why is that not sufficient for kind of uh, fulfilling one's, uh, uh, you know, f- fulfilling one's Achievement, I guess, telos really be the word fulfilling one's proper orientation as human beings. Well, you know, it it might be enough for uh, certain individuals, but if you're talking about, I, I mean, you know, the, there uh, uh, the, there might exist people who are like Ayn Rand, who um, just you know think that 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 uh, that they are fulfilled by. Um, uh, be, being um, uh, without any kind of uh, context or situation uh, of of upholding um, uh, normal family life, raising children, having uh, uh, a, a, a uh, upholding the traditions of the society in which you live, some, some people, I guess, are happy that way. But if we're talking about um, you know, can an entire nation succeed where in in which uh, basically everybody or everybody of influence um, lives as a kind of a, a lifelong bachelor um, you know with uh, deferring deferring marriage and children uh, denying any kind of responsibility to 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 congregation or community um, not doing any kind of national service other than than serving serving yourself I mean you know not not serving in the military uh, this this kind of life in which um, you're for yourself alone um, it's it, it's the way that everybody lives on the college campus you know it's the the way that they, you know 19 year old college students liberated from you know, from the confines of their their homes for the first time, that that's the way they live, and uh, no country can survive this for long. I mean, we 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 tried it for sixty years in America and Europe, let's say, from the nineteen sixties until twenty twenty. We we tried it, and 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 just look around you. Look at look at what's happening. That liberalism um, is. Uh, so that you know that that 
some of you cherish as an, you know, as your as a way to fulfill yourself individually, that liberalism is completely unsustainable. It's totally unstable. It has no capacity to fight against Marxism. You know, like just just look at your country, which what, what you know, you 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 think that your private life is OK or not. But but what this has brought is the, the complete collapse of the system that uh, that you're arguing for. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's very well said. But, you know, in these final few minutes, I do want to take it to what I've kind of intimated at earlier in the episode, which is kind of this really the more personal, honestly. And and, and you devote a whole chapter is one of the most powerful chapters in this book to the impetus to personally lead a conservative life. And you talk about how your wife and you decide a long time ago to do so. Look, on a very personal level here, I mean, it's funny, I was thinking, how can I best prepare for a podcast episode with my, you know, my friend and sometimes colleague, Yoram Hazoni? I decided the best way to do so was to wrap to Phil and Davin Chakras with a little extra kind of <laughs> intent today, because that, you know, I think is thinking by doing. So talk to the listeners a little bit about that, about kind of the idea that if you care about restoring, if you care about conserving, if you care about passing on traditions, if you care about all these ideas that we're kind of talking about on a fairly lofty and abstract level, you actually have to do what you're talking about. This is, I think, a major, major, major theme of yours over the years. I think it kind of sets you apart from kind of some of the older kind of neoconservatives who might have viewed kind of traditions and customs more in kind of a transactional sense. You place such a strong emphasis on actually doing, and you've led a life that does. So why don't you just talk to us a little bit about how strongly you feel about that? Well, yeah, conservatism is not uh, is not just a set of ideas. It, 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 it's um, it's it's a way of life. And uh, part of the answer to the question, what would we have to do if we wanted anything to be conserved? We'd have to have the kind of society that's that, that's capable of conservation and transmission. And that society has a, a, a very particular uh, structure. It consists of uh, of uh, congregations which take you know take their place within larger you know kind of uh, uh, tribal groupings or or, or 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 nationwide or international movements, and and these congregations are um, they are the uh, the engine in which um, uh, the the workshop in in which traditional families are are formed. I think a lot of people don't understand this that that um, in order to have transmission, conservation and tr transmission of ideas, behaviors, and, and, and institutions, uh, th there has to be a, um, a hierarchical community structure in which there are older people who are, who are uh, respected because they're actually worthy of respect because, because they themselves have received the tradition and, and, uh, and, and, and they, they hand it down. Young people who want to be able to, to, uh, transmit something to their own children. They have to. Um, they have to model it. They have to. Uh, the children have to see the, their parents receiving the transmission from 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 grandparents, and if not from grandparents, then uh, then you know great uncles and great aunts, and if not from them, then then from from uh, 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 old older members within the congregation or community. The, the, when children see this. Um, they grow up with a completely different attitude from ch children who are just told, you know, make all the decisions for yourself. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that's obviously right. I mean, authority, structure, hierarchy. I mean, these are kind of the basic building blocks of civilization. 
So uh, kind of tying us up here towards the end of, of, of the podcast recording and taking it back to, to your book, which again is entitled Conservatism, A Rediscovery. It's available now um, on, from Red Green Publishing on Amazon, wherever you can get your books here. What are, if you can name maybe two or three of the, uh, of the most important takeaways that you are trying to transmit to, you know, folks like me and, you know, 20 somethings, 30 somethings, for, for, what are the, what are, what are the core takeaways? I mean, we talked a little bit about how a tradition existed well before 1947, well before 1776, going back hundreds and hundreds of years there. But this feels so alien. I think a lot of people my age kind of just, you know, hear this and they were like, oh, you know, I vaguely remember that from elementary school, maybe. I mean, maybe they don't even teach that in elementary school anymore, right? But if, if you're trying to kind of transmit to the next generation ideas for helping recover, what are, what are some of the two or three biggest takeaways? Uh, there's no Number one, there is no such thing as conservatism outside of a personal life of conservation and transmission. Uh, you know, all the, all the political talk about, you know, uh, policies for the restoration of the family and these kinds of things that they're helpful, but they they cannot do anything um, if uh, if you don't have people who are actively in their own lives plugging into the plugging into the great tradition and 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 bringing up children and handing handing that tradition down. Without that, uh, there is no future. And um, so I, I would say that for people who think that this sounds alien. Um, how, how about if you try it? You know, like, what do you what exactly do you have to lose? Um, you, uh, it, you know, you, you think it would be like a disaster if you actually um, started uh, spending uh, Sabbaths with uh, with with an Orthodox Christian or Jewish congregation. You, you just can't you know, you can't imagine yourself giving up a day a week in order to be able to do that kind of thing. Well, how about if you just try it? Let, let, let's let's you try it three or four times. And uh, I, I think that for a great many people, um, uh, the first time you tried, it, it feels alien and awkward, but you do feel that there is something going on that you don't understand and that maybe you need. And by the fourth or fifth time that 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 you're there with the congregation, um, you, you, you start to understand something very different about what it means to be a human being and a responsible adult. And uh, what do you have to lose? I mean, w w w we can see where it's all going. It it's leading to the rapid dissolution of America and Europe. You can see that. So uh, how about if you try to learn something new uh, by, by uh, uh, connecting with this kind of uh, tradition for a bit and see what it does for you. See what it does for you indeed. But we're gonna have to leave it right there, unfortunately. But this book, Conservatism Rediscovery is available on Amazon, wherever you get your books. So Yoram Hazoni, you've been a friend and someone that I've looked up to so, so much over the years. So thank you really so much for joining us this week. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you, Josh. Thank you very much. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Welcome back. So that was a real privilege for me to have on Yorm. He's been someone I've looked up to and played a real kind of powerful role, I think, in my kind of personal and character development over the past few years to say nothing of our substantive agreements and how we are trying to push this ball forward as far as what it is that we on the right stand for, or at least should stand for. But I think it's worth spending a little time here at the end to trying to kind of unpack some of this somewhat lofty and admittedly somewhat abstract language and kind of take it down to the realities. So the basic argument here, the basic argument for national conservatism or a, a more muscular conservatism, a more hands-on conservatism, a more morally thick conservative, the basic argument is that the ties that sustain communities and ultimately sustain a nation state have frayed. And I think this is a fairly self-evident conclusion. You don't have to actually look around that far to come to that. But there are various statistics that certainly militate in that direction. As But one powerful example here, drug overdoses, of course, have skyrocketed over the past 10 years or so. It's oftentimes referred to as the so-called opioid epidemic, and opioids obviously have a role to play in this. It's really kind of a, a broader social malaise, though. And again, on a personal level, because with, when, when Yorm's the guest, I can't help but make it more personal. That particular episode hits home to me very much so. I mean, my, it's, it's so tragic. I can, I, 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 it, I can barely even stomach the thought. But my second cousin, who I was quite close with, overdosed and died about four and a half years ago now from fentanyl in, in suburban Boston, Massachusetts. I have felt this personally. I remember where I was. I was with my immediate family. We're actually out in Hawaii. We were at Pearl Harbor of all places, about to walk into the memorial. It was like 5 a.m. Hawaii time. Got this phone call. Just, just awful, awful, gut-wrenching stuff. But there's any number of other statistics as well, obviously. I mean, declining church attendance on a week-in, week-out basis that as Pew and Gallup and all sorts of other public polling efforts reliably indicate to basically indicate that Americans are suffering from a crisis of meaning. And I think they're suffering from a crisis of meaning in large part due to this ideology that Yorm and I discussed a little bit, which is this kind of live and let live, build your own adventure novel. You know, you guys remember those novels you used to read as a kid where you could like flip to page 26 if you want to do X or flip to page 73 if you want to see what happens here. You know, it's literally like a build your own adventure novel. And the malaise that we are seeing in America society, I think not exclusively, but in large part is due to the spread, the metastasis, I would say, of this very idea, this very idea that human life does amount to kind of a build your own adventure novel. And, you know, it really is this mentality that I've mentioned on this very podcast in recent episodes that was encapsulated by the infamous so-called mystery passage from the Supreme Court's 1992 opinion, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where the three justice plurality, we now, we now know it was Justice Anthony Kennedy who wrote this line where he famously said, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, the mystery of human life and all that it entails is kind of the quintessence of existence. And it is up to each individual to discover it for him or herself. But that ultimately is not enough. It may sound enough, but it is not enough to actually lead a meaningful, rich life. It is not enough to lead a life that respects one elders, one's elders, that is passing on traditions and customs to your successors, to your progeny, to your children, your grandchildren. And that really is the stuff that builds and sustains an actual civilization. Now, maybe America does not actually want to sustain a civilization. Perhaps that is the case. 
I disagree with that. I mean, I want, I, I love this country. You know, this is, we, we just experienced Memorial Day weekend where we honored our, our fallen heroes, those who so nobly sacrificed so that our, their, their, not just their relatives, but millions of people that they had no idea in both their generation and in, and in future generations could, could live in this wonderful experiment in ordered liberty that we have, that we've had for centuries now and that we hope to have for centuries to come. So, you know, to the nihilists out there, and I do think it ultimately comes down to nihilism, this kind of right-wing Leninism mentality, or obviously left-wing Leninism mentality, but this kind of burn-it-all-down mentality, I guess my basic response to that is, don't forget how good, don't forget how fundamentally good so much of America is. And that really is just a timely message to remember, given obviously recent tragedies, of course, like the mass shooting in Buffalo, the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, but especially as we turn the page here on Memorial Day weekend and, we rec- and we've recorded this podcast episode with you know, no less a conservative intellectual than Yoram Hazoni, I think it is just important here to just dwell for a second and remember how fundamentally good the United States of America is. That is not to say that we have not had our blotches, that we have not had our shortcomings, that we have not always guaranteed equal protection under the laws and so forth. We have obviously done all of those things, obviously, but we are so much better. And and this is not an American supremacist thing to say or anything like that. We are fundamentally at our core so much better than virtually any country that has ever called itself a country. And again, that doesn't mean that we need to like scoff at the rest of the world. On the contrary, of course, I think a foreign policy that is based on kind of that scoffing the rest of the world has caused a heck of a lot of problems over the years. And if anything, I frequently rail against that kind of hubristic outsourcing of American morality into the foreign space. But as a domestic space, focusing clearly here or just focusing exclusively, I should say, within the confines of our own borders, we have to be confident about our civilization. We have to be confident in who we are as Americans. And we have a lot to be profoundly proud of. Our constitutional order, the way it is structured, is majestic. It is magnificent. We have a rich kind of cultural, religious heritage, a legal heritage going back a thousand years to English common law. There is so much here to be proud of. We live in a fundamentally free, well-ordered country. We have so much this holiday weekend to be grateful for. And there is so much that we can do in our own personal lives to try to restore that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful vision. And that's just such an important message here, I think, to have Memorial Day weekend after we've had Yoram Hazoni as our guest. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I'm Josh Hammer, and we'll see you next time.